You're listening to the John Clark Cast. My name is John Clark. I'm a licensed counselor, a group practice owner, and a guide for therapists in private practice. I want to tell you about an exciting event coming up. It's the Get Seen Summit, uh, the first digital marketing summit for therapists coming to you live in person October 19th in Philadelphia. Uh, it's going to be me, Katie Keats May. Ernesto Segismundo and Uriah Guilford teaching you how to become better digital marketers and take control of your digital marketing and of course without all the overwhelm. You can go to GetSceneSummit.com to grab your tickets now and tickets are limited. That's GetSceneSummit.com and I'll see you in October. Casey Compton, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You're one of a few guests that I um, last minute ask if it's okay to record video. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's like a litmus test maybe for people who are like adapt to change easily. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, by the way, can you turn your camera on and we can record this, put it on YouTube? And you're like, yeah, sure, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, at least I'm not in my pajamas or, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I don't care. You're rocking, you're rocking your own brand shirt. I love that. I am. Thank you. I love it. I told, I told my director of details this morning, I sent her a text and I was like, I think I've grown out of my shirt. Can you put me another size back, please? (laughs) Cause I just keep uh, washing it and shrinking it. So it gets softer and softer and it just gets smaller and smaller. (laughs) She's going to, she's going to start charging you extra for your own shirts. Um, I know. So, um, you know, I got to hang out with you in person which is also feels like more rare and more rare in my life these days, given that so many of my <laughs> friendships and like colleagues are online. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you and I got to hang out at slow down school and that was the first time I got to meet you, but tell people a little bit, a little bit about kind of who you are and how you got here. And, um, yeah. Okay. Um, so, well, of course you already told them my name, um, Casey and, I've been practicing as a therapist since 2009, and I knew right going into it that I was going to open a practice and, you know, really dive into the business side of things. And um, so a few years after I got my license, I started a private practice, followed Joe with Practice of the Practice quite a bit, um, read all of the articles I could read, and just really tried to get my footing and Um, did really well in private practice and decided I wanted some residual income and I didn't really want to be, it it was just that kind of that fear of, oh crap, like what if something happens to me and I can't work? Um, That really drove me to um, decide to scale. And so from there, um, I rented a larger office and started scaling my practice. And so it's called Mindset Behavioral Group. And Right now we have six office locations. We're in about 17 counties in Kentucky. And we've scaled it from October of 2015 to this year. I think we have right at about 80 employees. So it's actually kind of taken on a life of its own in a lot of ways. And um, so right now, um, you know, I run that. And probably about nine months ago, I, I started doing some individual type consulting with other business owners. And so I'm doing that some too. And that's kind of me in a nutshell. When you, um, 
when you started scaling, what what did you envision? <laughs> well, um, honestly, I mean, I could make something up and like tell you this big, beautiful story, but I don't know that I ever really thought it out to the point of like, ultimately, what is this going to look like? I just knew how I wanted to set it up. And um, I knew that I, you know, I'm a pretty analytical type A type person in a lot of ways. And then in a lot of ways, I'm not. But in those ways in business, I knew that I needed to make it strong. And um, because I guess I kind of felt like if, if it was strong, if my infrastructure was strong, it didn't really matter what direction it went. And, and that's kind of what happened. So I didn't really have an idea. It's not like I said, I want 100 employees because right. that really wasn't wasn't it at all. Um, we just kind of keep growing to meet the needs of the community. And whether that be 50 or 100, um, I feel like my company can support that either way we go now. How did you establish that structure early on? And how did you know that it would be scalable? Um, you know, early on, I just, I kept thinking about it in terms of scaling. So every time that we would implement something new, um, like an onboarding process or an intake process or anything, I would just kind of play devil's advocate with myself and say, how would I do this if we were three times larger right now? Like, how would that affect me if we had a hundred people call today for appointments? So I set it up really to grow um, into rather than grow out of. And uh, I think that really helped because I think a lot of times as practice owners or just business owners in general, we just do what we can with what we've got. And we don't really think, oh, I'm going to end up spending more money in six months when I grow out of this space or, you know what I mean? So I just set it up to grow into it. How, and how did you come to that, uh, that philosophy, I guess, growing into versus growing out of? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know if it just comes from my personality of I like change. I like to improve things. I don't really like to stay, stay stagnant. I'm always looking at how can I make this better? How can I do this faster? Um, maybe it's that. Uh, I, I really try not to be that way in my business or at least use those qualities in a good way and not like in a neurotic, crazy way. Um, so I don't really know. I guess probably that that's what it was because of. How, how did you and how do you continue to manage growing at the right rate? Because another okay. thing that I see a lot of therapists doing and I, I end up warning heavily against is therapists who um, they grow too fast in, a, in the sense that um, they rent out a suite of six offices when they only have one clinician, when they don't have a plan, when they don't have yeah. the referrals coming in, essentially they uh, they grow too fast with their overhead, um, and mm -hmm. the revenue is dis disproportionate to that growth. And then they're in a real hole, um, yeah. and they're in a panic, and it means it yeah. puts their marketing in a panic, and they didn't have the system. So, like, you know, what I mean? yeah. how do you how do you manage that, making sure you're not uh, overdoing it? Um, I think you said a good word there, and it was the P word, the plan. So if you have the plan and you have the data and you have you have things to back it up, um, I think it'd be okay. Um, you know, I wouldn't. I would never advise someone that's starting out to go rent 
um, a six suite office. I would advise you to look at offices that you have options to grow into or that you have a flexible lease or, you know what I'm saying? Like things like that. And that's kind of what we did. We looked for a landlord. We started with a two room office and we, I was looking for someone that had additional property. So I didn't really want to rent from someone that just had that one. I wanted something that I could roll my lease over into. So we did that, um, kind of three times with that same landlord before we ended up where we are now. Um, So looking at things like that and just, um, I'm pretty conservative when it comes to the financials and just with growth in general. And um, there's just a lot of metrics that I use to determine if something's too risky or not. Um, How, How did you know that the demand was there to keep growing? Well, so when I was in private practice, my first month in private practice, I had 43 new clients. And that was from one referral source, one physician in our community. And I thought, holy crap, like this is just one month, one person. And so as I started working more and more, I mean, I was getting between 40 and 80 a month and I couldn't keep them. And I just thought if I can juggle this, it's going to, it's not even an issue to bring on a, you know, another clinician. So, and that's kind of how we do it now. I mean, we just use the market to tell us whenever it's time to hire again. Yeah. I like that because it's not also not overthinking it. You're just, Mm -hmm. you're using basic uh, economics of supply and demand. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's all it is. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's really not. It's just, uh, it's, it's not rocket science, but it's conscientiousness. It's, it's being deliberate in the next step versus going, you know, I'm going to open my doors and hope that they come or assume that they will come or assume that, um, my, my market is there. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times too, just, um, I spoke with one of my individual consulting clients the other day and she was looking at opening an office in another location and you know, she's not really sure. And one of the things that we do is we try to go into it, building a lot of momentum. So whether that's getting out in the community, doing a blitz, like a marketing blitz, just getting people out there, checking into these places, getting the word going before we go and invest in a three-year lease on, on an office space. You know, I want to know that the market's viable. And so that's just one of the things that that's been successful for us. Um, what about any mistakes that you learned from <laughs> what about me you're, you're making it look easy so far i'm like no. i like tell me about things that have uh, not gone well so that so that we can learn from from you yeah okay so um i could i could write a book i'm serious i could write yeah, a book of all the things yeah like all the screw-ups i actually started to write a blog about the top 10 i think top 10 screw-ups um, not to make in your private practice because I've done almost every single one of them. Um, but for me, I think my screw ups came, um, relinquishing some control at the wrong times to the wrong people. Um, I think most of my screw ups have happened related around people like, um, in the beginning, creating a culture that wasn't really what I wanted. I was letting my fears and my anxieties get into people's heads in the practice. And I didn't need to give that to them. Like those should have stayed in me. Um, so definitely that, um, 
I've learned a lot about when you get into a practice of this size, I think it becomes less about managing and operating the practice as it does about managing and operating the people. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, because every time you hire someone new, it's just like, oh, uh oh, like what's what is this one going to bring? And, yeah. How, how are they going to shift the culture? Uh-huh. Because it does. Yeah. It, it really does. And you can go to each one of our six offices and walk in and just based on the people that work there, you're going to feel something a little different. They mm -hmm. each have their own little um, cultures within the big culture of the company. So making sure that all of that is in check and making sure that even though one of them might be an hour and a half from our main location, that we still help them to feel connected so that we can maintain that brand identity and not lose it in the masses. Um, but it's definitely that most of the screw ups come down to the people, like how I've managed the people, how I've not managed the people, how much trust I've put in some people, how much trust I should not have put in some people. Um, yeah, just all about that. So, so knowing that, what do you believe uh, about hiring now? Um, I believe that hiring should be a highly guarded, valued, protected thing. And um, it takes a little while, I think, to really know the kind of people that you need to make your practice the way you want it. And I think I figured it out. Now, that doesn't mean I don't hire the wrong people sometimes because that's just going to happen. Um, but the way that I approach interviewing is different now. Um Finding key people that really reflect values or maybe just like pull out one of your personality traits that you really is a strength and hiring someone that is a reflection of that. And I've done that. And that has been like the best thing I've ever done for my practice It's looking for people um, as, a, as a whole um, kind of embody who I am and what, what I'm wanting. And the key is getting clear, getting as clear as you can on that first so that you know who you're looking for, right? Rather than just hiring people who say they're really motivated and want to work for your practice and then letting them uh, basically shape the culture. Yeah. Um, and, and then, yeah. So I, we were talking about this uh, the other day in uh, one of my mastermind groups, uh, someone making their first hire. And the question being, do I hire someone who is... Um, kind of uh, the similar to me or complimentary to me? Mm -hmm. What yeah. would you say to that clinician? Maybe just making their first <laughs> hire. Oh gosh. Well, the, you know, my first hire was complete opposite of me Yeah. in all the good ways. Like she was everything I was not. She was very warm and fuzzy. She was very patient. You can she be was warm and fuzzy. I can, but <laughs> like, I'm very, if I, if I'm upset with you, I can't hide it. You're going to know <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> um, if, if I'm happy, you're going to know it. If I'm confused, like I'm going to look at you really confused. I just don't hide that stuff very well. And she's great. She was really great at that. So, um, I would probably say complimentary, but I read um, Mike McCallowitz's book, Clockwork, recently, and I really liked something he said in there. He said, hire people that you respect, not necessarily that you like. And that was a big one for me because I used to hire people that was very similar to me, and it never worked out well, ever. So I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think it's, it, and it mirrors other kinds of relationships in our lives, right? There's uh, sometimes 
sometimes people are too similar to us for us mm-hmm. to see, you know what I mean? And it's like, if you want to, if you want to look at it clinically, we can have countertransference issues with the people in our business because it's too close to home. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because we see ourselves in them at a, in a, at a deep level or even at just a functional level. And, um, and that creates unnecessary complication in the workplace, especially yeah. when your team's really small, right? And those, mm-hmm. those differences are even more felt in, mm-hmm. a, in a really small team, which is where yeah. a lot of people are for, for some time or, you know, indefinitely. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think that that first hire and, you know, your first five hires, that is going to set the tone for everything that comes after if you choose to scale. So, you know, putting all of your, um, like, that's great that they're bouncing ideas off of you and within your group, because that's just something that's hard to make those decisions on your own of what's right. Um, It's good to have somebody that's a little more objective that can give you some feedback there. So at, at a certain point, um, you go from directly managing the people that are on your team to needing to put people in between you and mm-hmm. that team or that side of things or that branch of yours. Um, yeah. how, do you, how do you kind of identify and work with those people so that, um, so that you can truly trust that they're doing their jobs, right? And that culture is kind of trickling down. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Uh, you know, I think that comes with some experience and that's not something I was always good at. And I feel like I'm a little bit better at it now. I try to find a real good balance. I don't want to micromanage. I don't want people to feel controlled, but I also want them to know that they're accountable for what it is that I'm asking them to do. And I think a lot of it just comes down to respect. Um, the team that I have now, it's taken, it's taken a few years to really get to where I feel very comfortable and confident, Um, but I know that the team that I have now has our company's best interest at heart, and they would do anything to help me if, if I needed it. So I think just developing some, that form of, of healthy level of respect there is huge. Um, the training piece of it is crucial. If they get trained poorly, you might as well count on they're going to do a crappy job and it's not their fault um so there's been times where i've let other people that really shouldn't have trained some of my staff train my staff and then when i get ready to go have a conversation about why is this work not done i start looking at it and i'm like wait a minute that's not even your fault that was a you know we set you up to fail here um so kind of just managing that that's that's another interesting point right because um well, something that I've always believed, and I used to teach uh, um, college courses and uh, teach undergraduate psychology classes, and it's this idea of like when a student fails, where does the fault lie? And I've yeah. I, I tended in that those situations to lean towards the fault of the teacher in some regard of not facilitating the learning or being clear about what's expected or making sure the material was clear and realistic, etc. And so so maybe some of that translates to the workplace, right? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there are certain people that you just can't help or that will continue to fall short in your business, um, making it really hard for you to, to continue getting along with them or, or seeing them fit into the practice. And I think those, yeah. and those decisions are some of the hardest for therapists to make because we lean toward wanting to be pleasing to people, wanting to be sensitive, Mm -hmm. wanting to see the best in people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've even seen this in my own, 
uh, hiring is that because us therapists were trained to really see the best and people see the potential, um, I tend to not see their shortcomings mm-hmm. right off the bat. And my wife gives me a lot of grief about this because she's the polar opposite and that <laughs> she's like a skeptical cat where I'm mm-hmm. like a happy puppy when it comes mm-hmm. to <laughs> building yeah. teams sometimes. Of like she, she sees all the ways it could go wrong first, she approaches everyone with a healthy sense of skepticism, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of until like a kind of guilty until proven innocent. Um, yeah. Not that she's cold to people by any means, but that's uh, sometimes having her bring that perspective is important to say, okay, yeah, they've got some good qualities. Here's some areas I'm concerned about. Let's look at those as well, or look at how we might uh, mitigate some of them in this job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I mean, I'm guilty of that to a certain degree, and I haven't really decided if this is a, um, a strength yet. I'm trying to make it into one, but I was just talking to my HR lady this morning, and I just don't like to fire people, or I don't like it when people quit. And so, you know, if that ever happens, I'm always thinking, how can we use your strengths somewhere else in this business? Like, what can we do? And that that's exhausting. And, and I just find that it wears my brain out. And But then I just don't know if that's something I want to let go of either, because um, I would rather people feel cared for. And I would rather people know that, hey, she's at least trying to figure out how to make this work than that we're just, it's just like, sorry, on to the next. Like, that's not totally. really, yeah. Totally. So that's that's tough. I mean, and it's, I tell her all the time, I joke with her, I'm like, that's why I hired you to deal with all of that because <laughs> she she's great and she's good at it and I'm not and it just wears me out. Yeah. Yeah, and I think sometimes just giving people if if they show motivation to continue being a part of your team, um, but they're falling short, um, set some clear expectations for them, mm-hmm. and make it make make it so that they can actually succeed, right? Yeah. And then re- reassess things uh, after you've made some intervention or given them more support or whatever. That way, you can at least um, reach that point and go, okay, here are the metrics or the mm-hmm. numbers that we agreed upon, and you know, I think that's the hard part about what we do because we are people working with people and there's a lot of factors at play when you look at things like you know clinicians being able to retain their clients we know there's Mm -hmm. it's it's really important to know those numbers at the same time there's a lot of moving parts we're working with Mm -hmm. human beings and people with emotional issues um but being able to at least uh set some sort of numbers around it um so that you can make better decisions right and 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 maybe pull pull our emotions out of it a little bit when it comes to these tough decisions yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that's that's the struggle is is setting the emotional piece aside um, when it needs to be set aside. Yeah. And yeah. Okay, for those who do find themselves having to fire someone, what are your tips? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm not good at firing people. I always have tried to hire someone to field between me and the staff in that way. Um, I don't, let me think, I don't know that I've actually, I fired one person and it was not something that I was proud of. I even said like a bad word. I was really mad. I should not have fired that person at that time. It was just like hit a nerve. It was bad. I mean, we fired people within our company, but 
I'm not really a good one to give advice on that. I would say defer that to someone that is really good at firing people. Outsource and, it. Yeah, it's outsource like that, that. that movie with um, George Clooney or something where they like he like comes in just to fire people. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Get get him. Yeah, I've got get a George great Clooney HR lady. Let him down softly, and then uh-huh. worst case yeah. scenario, you're hanging out with George Clooney exactly for the rest of the the hour yeah i mean he could fire me all day long I'd be <laughs> yeah, sure. perfectly fine with that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah well i think there's something he said about the golden rule right and and not like when you're thinking about what kind of manager you want to be or thinking about some of these situations really treating people how you would want to be treated whether it's like an employee is sick or an employee just lost someone it's like do you want to do you want to ride them and, and and mandate that they come back two days later or yeah you know what I mean like if just just taking a minute and thinking okay I was once an employee or the an, you know the employee for some organization and some manager and if I were the employee in this situation how would I want to be treated and try to play that you know try to play that card as as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. It does bring on an extra level of stress and drama. But then again, like, who would you be if you didn't have that? Yeah, that's you true. know, like, what kind of company would you be? Would you be such such a large corporate looking company that it's just so institutionalized that no one wants to work there? I mean, so it's a compromise, I guess, that I'm willing to take as much as I possibly can just to have the, the culture that, that we want to have. For, for people who are trying to not only define their company culture, but maybe shift it, or maybe it's for those who have some culture that's gone in the wrong direction, what would you mm. say to them or where should they, mm. how should they get on the right track? Well, from, from my experience, um, I have had a company that I feel like was probably it had a, it did not have a great culture. It just didn't, and that was largely because um, I allowed people to to work in certain roles that I should not have, and so I, I do take responsibility for that. Um, but it really got to the point that it was it was pretty bad. Um, and then all of the people that were influencing that negative culture decided to leave at the same time and start their own company. And it was really scary for me because some of the people were in pretty important roles. Um, so to say the least, it was scary. And then, you know, whenever you, your staff sees you know, three, four people all at the same time leaving, it, people start to wonder, like, what's going on? What's, you know? So I think when you have a culture that's bad, um, being really honest with yourself about what you, you know, what you have to do with it, what is it that you're contributing that you might need to check or reevaluate, be honest with your team. Um, that's what we did. We had a staff meeting and we just sat down and here it is. This is what's been going on. I realize that I take responsibility for letting some of these things happen. Um, we are going to do better. Like this is going to change. And as a result of just that openness and just being vulnerable, you know, I tend to be pretty straight faced. Like I'm not like, I don't cry unless I'm mad. Like, you know what I'm saying? And, I was just as open and as honest as I could be to these 60 something people at that time. It was just like, and I think that 
that that brought us all together mm-hmm. and we didn't lose a single person because of that and I feel like everyone started looking out for one another and everyone had each other's backs. And it's um, like any relationship when you and your partner go through something, mm -hmm. you know, on one hand it can pull people apart. On the other hand, people can pull closer together when they go through something difficult. And ultimately people want a sense of universality. They want togetherness. So Mm -hmm. groups of people will strive to band together as much as they can. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have to create an environment where that can happen and where we're encouraging that. And it has a lot to do with our leadership. And in this case, you were just, just kind of honest about what was going on and they really appreciated being, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that honesty. I think so too. And then at that point I knew I, you know, in my head, I was thinking this is kind of do or die. Like I have a really good opportunity to do something and change this. However, I have always dreamed that it needs to be, or I can just like go home and cry and just stick my head in the dirt, you know? And luckily I chose the first option and I found a really great, uh, crazy HR lady, Laura, and she'll listen to this and she'll think she's famous. So we'll, <laughs> we'll and make everyone her else will think she's crazy. Cause you call yeah, her crazy. She is crazy in a good way, Of course. but she really, um, had that personality that we needed at that time. The just very outgoing, like, yeah. let me, let me like pet your head. Like, let me just tell you how wonderful and beautiful you are. Like, and that is what we needed. And she just kind of rallied the troops and she did what I hired her for. And I've appreciated that. You know, I have a lot of uh, respect for her for, for how she helped me um, in that situation. So putting the right people in the right places is, is huge. Totally. Yeah. I think I need one of her. Yeah, everybody does. She have, does she have some availability? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, you and I had planned in part to talk about, and here comes my cat. My cat always makes an appearance <laughs> every time I'm doing something important, I swear to you. And Aww. people who listen to the podcast, some of them know that Aww. he's going to show up. That's so cute. And be, well, He can be cute. <laughs> Don't let him fool you. Um, he always shows up. That's okay. People are used to it. Um, See, and then I don't know what I was saying. You were saying that originally we were going to talk about... (laughs) We were going to talk about cats and dogs and butterflies. Uh, George Clooney. Mm -hmm. We were going to talk about profit first because it's a a concept. It's a framework that I've talked about a little bit on the show, but I really want to go deeper into it. So Mm -hmm. that just means I'm going to have to have you on the show again. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know. It's a bummer, but... I don't know. Do what you got to do. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so there's going to be a profit first conversation coming up. And from there, I think we'll go, we we might even go a little bit deeper into, into systems and scaling, but certainly getting right with your money um, and continuing to have a a roadmap for your money is super, super, super critical. So I'm excited Mm -hmm. to talk to you about that again. And I know you just got to, to virtually meet the man himself, Michael Michalowicz. I did. That was like the highlight of my life. Yeah, I was, I was trying. I didn't. Well, first of all, Gordon pulled the. Oh, by the way, we're gonna video, and I was like, uh oh. (laughs) So he did what I did, but I. Yeah. I didn't have a famous author. (laughs) Right. It was different. And then so he says, uh, he was like. Because I was just going to say hi at the beginning before the podcast. And then so we get on. He's like, why don't you just ask him some questions? Yeah. 
Oh, sure. Let me just think of some really quick. And, um, but I, he was afterwards, he was teasing me and he was like, yeah, you might've been drooling just a little bit during that. It's all right. I'll we'll, own that. We'll edit out the drool, you know, yeah. post-production. <laughs> that's hilarious. No, that's, yeah. that's really cool. And I've, I've been seeing him pop up around some other podcasts in the industry. So it's great. And I think mm-hmm. therapists can, can learn a lot from, from his model. Um, tell therapists about the work you're doing now, about the services you offer to therapists and how people can get in touch with you. Sure. Um, so like I said earlier, um, I've started doing some consulting. I've really tried to, to actually live, um, Mike's model of clockwork and, and back myself out of my practice so it can run on its own without me. And for the most part it does. So that opened up some time that I can do some consulting, mostly focused around, um, I try to keep it very focused on profit and, um, process. So since they're both kind of inter intertwined a lot, I do a lot of that. Um, do you, did you tell me to talk about what I have coming up? I can't yes, remember. I'm telling oh, you now. So. And this will probably okay. air in the next week or two weeks at very most, if that helps with your timeline. Yeah. Okay. So, um, in terms of profit first and money, one of the things we do have coming up in next month, actually in October is, um, a 30 day like cleanup month. And so it's me and Joe Sanok and Allison Pigeon. We're going to kind of split up that month and do a, um, a 30 day course and try to help people get their finances cleaned up, get a good plan for what's coming um, up. And so that's something that we have going on. Have a mastermind group getting ready to start in a couple of weeks. And so that's really exciting. It's called a million dollar mastermind and it's through practice of the practice. And we're really going to focus in on systems and processes and profit over the next 12 months. Um, very intense. It's a three week, um, three, I mean, we meet three times a week type thing. People get to come to Kentucky. They get to go to slow down school. So they got a lot of stuff options there. Um, we have a meet you in Kentucky event. This will be the first one we're going to do. It's a, um, two and a half day thing and people are going to come into Kentucky and we're going to do some really focused work on building out a dashboard for your practice, getting your systems and your processes implemented and leaving with a plan. So that's coming up uh, November the 13th and 14th. So we're really excited about that. And, um, you actually just had a new website built out. That yeah, I'm, you got a fancy new website. I know. I'm still kind of learning it. It's a, it's a little challenging for me. I haven't quite figured out the, the platform yet. But um, it is just consult with KCKC.com. And all I try to, I don't think I have every event on there yet, but I have most of the things that I just talked about. They're listed Perfect. up there in the event section. Excellent. And we'll put all those links in the show notes for, for people listening. Um, well, Casey, you're a real hoot and a very knowledgeable business person. So I appreciate you. you a lot. And, um, and I'm going to look forward to the next one. We're gonna have to do it real soon. Sure. Sounds good. See you soon. See ya. All right. I hope you enjoyed the episode as always. Do me a favor, rate, review, and subscribe to this show wherever you are listening. And don't forget to grab your ticket for the Get Seen Summit at GetSeenSummit.com. Look forward to seeing you October 19th in Philadelphia and hanging out with you in person. All right. Hope you have a great week. See you soon.